Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Don't believe us? That's fine. Ask questions. Question everything. Why? That's what this episode is about. Uh, we talk a lot about critical thinking on this show. And, um, you know, I, I think it's safe for us to say this. When uh, over the years, when we've been doing this show, we have at times met with people who have been a bit dismissive from the jump and said, oh, this is a what are you a conspiracy show is stuff they don't want you to know. Basically, Alex Jones. And the answer is absolutely not. We prize critical thinking. And uh, it's led us to some very strange places. Uh, but you, longtime conspiracy realist, have been with us the entirety of the drive. So we got to ask you and ourselves, when's the last time you rethought a long-held belief? Can anyone, the five of us, right, Paul and Matt and Noel and myself and, and you listening along at home, can you recall a moment where you had a, an epiphany, a sudden flash of insight or revelation that reversed a deep-seated certainty about something you'd believed for all or most of your life. Has, has that ever happened to you guys? Matt, I mean, you've spoken about your experience often. Yeah, yeah. It happened to me in college. Uh, just rethought the way I viewed religion and the way religion kind of had a control over my general thought process and my willingness to explore certain topics. So yeah, that, that was a long time ago. Most recently though, I watched the movie Moonfall 
And I completely mm. rethought the idea of uh, the moon as a moon and not a spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say I completely rethought the idea of being a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> look, look, it wasn't. Mm. You may love Moonfall out there, uh, but uh, it was it was tough for me to watch. But the concepts said, were. Are fun. you saying the science uh, didn't check out fully on <laughs> every turn, or <laughs> the script, or the acting, etc.? But listen, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to make a film. There are it a lot is. of moving parts, and if you have ever made a film, whether it's a critic's darling, a blockbuster, or just something you got to show to your friends, then it is something to be proud of. And you should be proud of yourself for that. But what what we're what we're saying is it's what Matt's describing here is a relatively rare experience for most of humanity. Because as we'll find, your brain, if you are human, likes to be your hype man in a lot of ways, even when it sounds like it's, it's being very rude to you and uh, telling you catastrophic things that are not true. Your brain wants to, is doing that because it wants to confirm stuff. Your brain likes to be right. I mean, that's why if you look at it from another way, you could say um, if you have not had a moment of uh, revelation, a eureka uh, experience, then you have doubtlessly found yourself banging your head against a cognitive wall, trying your best to talk someone off the ledge of craziness. Uncle Mike, you might be saying, the world is indeed round, okay? Let's just get through Thanksgiving, but bro, come on, read a book. Uh, you yeah, might but airplanes, man, you know? I mean, if the world's round, how come when I take a flight, I don't see the curvature of the earth? You know, right. put that in your pipe and smoke it, it's young one. Your flying spirit and the planes are really slow. Uh, so the uh, spirit, uh, this is aside, uh, you might know the facts are on your side. You might have physically printed out studies, right? And try as you might, you can't get the other person to listen. That has happened to everybody at some point in their lives. And that's the heart of today's episode. Why is skepticism difficult? How do we function as skeptics? How do we, like the Jedi, practice that uh, that sort of, not even ideology, but approach to the world? Spoiler, it's not as easy as it might sound because a lot of people have basic facts about skepticism wrong and your brain doesn't like skepticism. That here are the facts. <laughs> Yeah, um, often on this show, and I think in a lot of maybe the conspiracy realm, the word skeptic alone functions as a thought terminating cliche, the way the term conspiracy theory becomes a thought terminating cliche within the skeptical uh, halls of the world. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's Which is the opposite of what skepticism should be. If, if precisely. Uh, precisely. And on, on both ends, I think we, we shouldn't uh, view those terms. But uh, it, it gets a bad rap. Yeah, like the idea of a skeptic being kind of a perma-grump who just questions everything to a fault. It doesn't really seek truth. It's just more out to kind of debunk and uh, actually people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And uh, for an explanation there, I, we have dealt with this. I, I think we've talked about it on this show. Our colleagues on, on all the stuff shows, uh, we had this moment of reckoning a while back, or at least I feel like I did, where we said, oh, we don't sound normal when we talk to people outside of our little nerd bubble, because when you start a sentence with actually, it becomes a thought terminating thing right? In conversation. And a lot of people are not going to take the information you are attempting to relay as though you are speaking as an equal. They will find you condescending and pedantic. Uh, so without actuallying people, and we've turned it to a verb because it's American English and everything will inevitably become a verb. Uh, I think we've described skepticism the way it's perceived very well here. And the problem is that is a misperception that's incorrect. Skepti what, what people are describing when they talk about permagrumps like that is really cynicism. You're describing a cynic. Skepticism, by comparison and contrast, is much less aggro. It is a key part of the critical thought process. If you look back at the etymology, you know, we all love etymology here. Skeptic is derived from the Greek. It's derived from the Greek word skeptikos, which literally just means look around or inquiring. And all that means is if you're a skeptic, you're determining the truth of something objectively based on the level of evidence. Right. Just not taking things at face value, you know, giving it a little bit of an extra think before you jump into a, you know, ideology or concept or even a story. Or, or yet yeah, to fully explore what's being laid at your feet when new information is coming at you, right? Not to just go, oh, okay. Or not to go, no. <laughs> right. That's the thing. And, and it's weird because a lot of people in the age of the internet who identify themselves as skeptics are committing that latter sin you just described, that very non-skeptic very cynical idea of, uh-uh, no way. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's, you have to earn an uh-uh, no way. Just like a sketch comedy show has to go for a couple seasons before they earn a good serious moment. Uh, sadly, this nuance is often missed, right? You, I love what, what you're saying here, Matt, because it goes back to something called the Socratic method, which is asking generative questions right in a in a you might have to bleep me a couple times in this episode paul in a non way that's important don't ask questions don't be a dick about asking questions be sincere and genuine in your exploration there's nothing wrong with saying okay if x is true whatever x is then what about y and then if y is not true what does that change about my understanding of x yeah, I mean, the Socratic method is kind of like the scientific method for conversation or just for, like, interpreting data about the world. I mean, it really is about test, trust, but verify, you know, and uh, and test things, maybe not using the same kind of methods you would in science, but asking the right questions, digging a little deeper, doing your own homework. Mm -hmm. And good conversations, I believe, are well, this is a belief I may have to challenge. Uh, good conversations are, in my mind, 90% uh, 90 based on 
honest and well thought out questions, right? And building upon those questions. The thing is, and it's a, a big secret of the world that a lot of uh, really polemical people don't want you to know. The vast majority of human beings are intelligent and curious and generally good people. Uh, when they're given the access to necessary information and a safe environment in which they can digest that information, they're going to impress you. And you're going you're gonna to think, hey, that's a good egg. That's a smart person. Unfortunately, for so many reasons, a lot of people do not have that access to information. And more importantly, they don't have a safe, unbiased environment to explore that information. And as a result, a lot of people believe really weird, weird, weird shit. I mean, I would argue that people, by and large, do have access to you know, the vast majority of all of the information of time immemorial, you know, it's just a matter of where their beliefs and those surrounding them, as you said, Ben, are steering them. Yeah. And people who have access to a phone, right. And internet service on that phone or a computer or something like that. But that's not true for everyone on this planet. It's not true uh, for yeah. everyone. There are a couple of barriers for sure, but I, I, I think we can all agree that the, the main, uh, the main issue is the environment in which mm -hmm. that information is encountered and the different variables, intervening variables that allow people, allow people intellectual freedom to explore those things. I mean, okay, so, uh, you know, it's a glass planet. I just fell in love with that phrase one day when we were freestyling it, but it's a glass planet. So a lot of people from Henry Kissinger on down believe dumb things and they believe things that might sound weird to outsiders. You know, think of superstitions. You're a kid. You're walking along the sidewalk. You don't want your mother to be crippled by a back injury. So you don't step on cracks that has no medical impact on your mom. Uh, I can't believe we're getting to your mom references so early, <laughs> but, uh, but you're not ruining the world. You know what I mean? There's not a nuclear catastrophe uh, because you avoided panels on the sidewalk. You're not hurting anyone. I mean, unless you're not paying attention to those around you and you, you know, cause someone else to trip, perhaps. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All you have to do is take a little trip uh, down the clubhouse lane and you will figure out how weird stuff is. Uh, oh, my goodness, you guys. Haven't experienced that amount of out there info being, you know, said as though it's just absolutely correct and true in a long time. Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I was in a conversation with Clubhouse when I was going on there more often uh, where I did my best in a diplomatic way to present what I thought was a very, a very kind um, rebuttal to some crazy stuff I heard. And the response to my rebuttal was the devil comes in a, an appealing shape and speaks in fine form. And then 12 other people were like, yeah, no, yeah. This dude's the devil. <laughs> Get the devil out of here. Banned. I know. I know. Banned. <laughs> right. Well, 
<laughs> well, it was a fun conversation. I mean, the thing is, we're talking then about the role of social dynamics and culture, right? You might live in a world or participate in a community that will actively shun or punish you for not participating in something that you know is dumb or incorrect. And maybe I shouldn't even say dumb. Problem is, throughout history, there are no exceptions to this rule. As we established in our earlier episode on the human brain, or our earlier series, your brain is brilliant if you're a human, is fundamentally wired to recognize patterns so much so that the mind makes patterns where none exist. This is also a huge part of the reason that a lot of people are prejudiced for or against something, uh, logic be damned, you know? And, it, and, and scientists have traced the nuts and bolts of this. They got under the hood of the human mind and they found the region of the brain that keeps playing these pranks. Yes, that part in question here uh, is the posterior medial prefrontal cortex. And it is the part of the brain that is involved in evaluating and absorbing other people's ideas. Um, and, and as you pointed out, Ben, it really wants to kind of maintain uh, cognitive equilibrium. You know, um, it, it does not like cognitive dissonance, which I guess is the uh, the alternative. It really wants to make you feel like everything is cool. You understand yourself and the way you relate to those around you and the world around you. And it will play some uh, some tricks on you in order to achieve that result. You know, think about identifying a leopard out on a plane somewhere. Is there a leopard in that tree, behind that tree, in that grass, is there one? It certainly doesn't look like there's one. Well, how does uh, the human brain evolve to figure out when there is a natural predator hanging out and watching you and you can't see them easily, at least? Or is it just a leopard of the mind? And there's an evolutionary incentive for that. There's a cost-benefit ratio, right? It's, it's quite, or calculation rather, it's quite brutal. The people who thought they saw a leopard, even when there wasn't a leopard, still avoided leopards. The people who said, ah, no, that's just some weird uh, play of light and shadow, and then were attacked and died, they didn't reproduce. So, <laughs> so Anymore, at least. <laughs> anymore, at least. And so we see that there is a, a higher likelihood for this kind of mechanism to evolve. And today it plays a huge role in the decision-making process. It's a gift and a curse, just like having a lot of money in a capitalist society. The same mechanisms that allowed you to survive in the wild can screw up your thought processes in the modern world. And, you know, don't worry, it gets weirder because in, in addition to loving patterns, your human brain also creates feedback loops of affirmation. If someone seems very confident about something that you already sort of agree with, then you are all aboard, buddy, and you're probably not going to have a moment of thought where you say, well, I should look into that. No one's immune to this. If I saw a very charismatic person uh, just taking over the airwaves of mass media, and all they wanted to say was that quesadillas were awesome, I might not do a whole lot of research into that person. And I, like many people, 
like to think that I'm okay in the intelligence game. Well, and on the flip side, if you see a person who you already trust and who has been right in the past or has said things that you found to be accurate and aligning with your personal beliefs, say something that maybe stretches credibility ever so slightly, you'd be much more likely to just take it at face value rather than do your own homework because you've already, your brain's already taken that shortcut of believing in this person and believing the things this person says because hell, they've been right in the past and uh, I've based my decisions on this person's rhetoric in the past. Why would they, you know, uh, do me wrong now? Yeah, this guy is right for, this guy was right about quesadillas. He's on the money there. Maybe I should rethink my opinion about the shape of the planet Earth. Whoa. What if that ultra confident guy stood up one day in a meeting and said, the world is both understandable and what? What did he say? <laughs> you son of a <laughs> worth understanding. <laughs> I mean, that's I think, I, I, I that's think. great, though. It sounds so good, man. <laughs> I, I, I think we would. We, I think we could all agree with that. And there's nothing inherently controversial in a statement like that, you know. But that's the thing about uh, rhetoric. You yeah. know, you can have something that is on the edge. That's just innocuous enough to be like, yeah, of course, but there might be this grain of pushing you over that cognitive cliff that you don't even notice. Yeah, but it's priming as well. And I think that's I think that's a great point, Noel. And I'm just still uh, <laughs> I'm just tickled, Matt, because uh, you pointed out a. <laughs> a beautiful weaponization of information that uh, I I learned from a guy we all know and then used uh, often. Uh, no apologies. But this, what we're describing should, like, hopefully this is something all of us listening today can identify with. This is also why, to the point about the flip side, this is why people with a really strong opinion on sports or politics or religion, they'll tend to reject information that challenges their existing notions, that hits against those feedback loops of the brain. And then they'll prioritize information that appears to confirm what they already thought. And this is not just uh, for folks on a podcast saying this, a lot of Assiduous study has gone into this. There was a, a study from 2019 that I think speaks to this directly. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, too, just speaks to just, like, uh, effort, you know? It's it's harder. It, it makes you kind of have to redo everything and rethink everything. We've already put all this work in. Why would I want to have to, like, you know, start from scratch? And, and I think this uh, nature neuroscience study, to, to a degree, speaks to this. Man, you want, you want you were going to go into this. I think this one really got you. Oh, yeah, this one got me so hard. It comes from Nature Neuroscience, as you said, Ben, from 2019. They, were, they looked really hard at confirmation bias. What is it? Why is it so powerful? And they found that humans, quote, tend to discount information that undermines past choices and judgments. This confirmation bias has significant impact on domains ranging from politics to science and education. Yep, yep. Uh, shout out to our episode about <laughs> about how uh, large corporations twisted the game on recycling. A lot of people, a lot of our fellow listeners didn't like to hear that, right? But it is true. Uh, and it's just, unfortunately, it's interrupting a feedback loop or disrupting would be a better word. Belief formation is a hell of a drug, right? People don't like to be wrong. 
This is why you see countless examples throughout history of someone coming to the table with pretty hard evidence of something. It literally does not matter what that evidence is if it contradicts the uh, social mores, the shared values and beliefs of that society. So, like, this is this is so basic. This is um, this is Galileo. Right. This is people arguing about astronomical truths that do not have opinions and their evidence is ignored or dismissed because they have questioned things that were not allowed to be questioned. Well, or it can even, you know, if you take it to a slightly more modern example, like in the Soviet Union during the Chernobyl uh, catastrophe, you know, scientists and people literally working at the Chernobyl plant came to the government and said, this thing has happened. It will result in, you know, nuclear fallout being carried far and wide. We should do something about it. To which the government replied, no, it didn't. And no, we won't, because it would undermine the inherent truth of our perception of what the government is, what we do and what we don't do. And even though, I mean, it was based inherently on fact, uh, the way they uh, reacted to it was by saying, essentially, what we say is true. So if, if we don't, if we say this isn't true, then it isn't true. That's an extreme example. But I think that very much falls in line with what we're talking about here. Yeah. It, unfortunately, you can see these tendencies in Every single human civilization throughout every single moment in human history. So what gives? It turns out folks are very susceptible to how information is communicated. We'll pause for a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to return and talk just a little bit more about this study to set up the best ways that you can practice skepticism. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more 
while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hey, guys, just really quickly, I want to point something out that's happening right now in the news that I feel like I think illustrates this pretty well, and it is the the classified documents that were found within the Biden uh, camps thing. Because I think oh, it's yeah, challenging. In the garage. Yeah, but I think it's challenging people's beliefs, especially if you're you know on one side of the political spectrum. Like that's something the other side does. That's something bad guy does. Oh well, now that my team does this too. Uh oh, wait, what's happening now? Is this the same? And it's just really uh, kind of wreaking havoc within. Uh, a lot of people's minds, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you mentioned this because you'll see that we'll we'll talk about this too later in this episode. You can see the same story reported very different ways. Yes, you Did can. Did you see Carl Rove essentially defending Biden on Fox News saying it wasn't the same as what <laughs> yes. was going on with Trump? And he drew it on like a whiteboard and <laughs> said like, A, it was a long time ago, uh, clearly was an oversight. B, they cooperated immediately. But I mean, like, how weird is that? Talking about cognitive dissonance, the architect of the uh, the opposition's, you know, whole political ideology is defending the enemy but but it just it really depends on where your beliefs and kind of loyalties lie and how you're going to take in this information and really what you were saying at the top ben which information you end up taking in and then how that changes how you think about it what a great example matt because this also like this is something you may have your mileage may vary folks but this is something you may have encountered uh what happens when when you run into a piece of news that confirms a pre-existing belief is you are far less likely to say, let me find out more. Let me read the original source, right? Let me see a timeline. Let me know what, in this case, what sort of classified documents, how long were they held, et cetera, et cetera. If you read something and you are maybe pro-Biden, then you could just stop at that one news piece and say, oh, they found it, they fixed it, that's great, because mm-hmm. I was right. You know, <laughs> But that's, that's unfortunately not what people should be doing. And this study proves this kind of thing. So that 2019 Nature Neuroscience study shows that confidence of a speaker has a clear role. There's a reason that you will very seldomly see uh, public figures say they've had a change of heart. Uh, If you are an intellectually unpracticed person or an insecure person, then you probably think a lot about the concept of weakness, which is not the right way to approach anything intellectually. The, The idea that someone could change their mind is not weakness. It shows that their mind is active. But still, people love confidence, right? So if you already believe something and someone seems very strident and confident when they're telling you something that you already sort of agree with, even if, to your point, Noel, it's a little bit further past that ordinary conversation, then you're going to agree with them. That part of your cortex is going to fire up and say, ooh, buddy, we're cooking with gas. It also uh, kind of matters how tall they are. Kind of. Just a little bit. It does. It does. Since the advent of television, 
in the case of U.S. presidents in specific, height has mattered, physical height, as well as the absence of facial hair. There's probably not going to be a bearded president of the U.S. Uh, for some time, unless oh. the U.S. fundamentally changes. What's he hiding back there? Yeah. <laughs> What's he but, biding back there? Exactly. He's biding his time to destroy us all. Um, it's funny because some people do trust a bearded person and then think that it's comforting. So it's interesting that like the uh, the studies or the greater perspective is that bearded people are untrustworthy. But I know plenty of people who find a beard very, you know, um, calming. And when Says someone the shaves the beard, <laughs> I know. But I also will say that when someone who's had a beard for a long time shaves the beard, that breeds distrust. Well, I, I mentioned this multiple times in previous episodes, and maybe this is what you're referring to. The There is a spectrum of perceived trustworthiness for facial hair, at least in the West. And it varies across the world, right? In general, in the West, uh, the spectrum is clean-shaven equals more trustworthy, less experienced. On the other side, a ZZ top-level Gandalf beard means more experienced, less trustworthy. Stubble, kind of like what, what Matt and I are doing, is, at least on my part, Matt, uh, Sexy. calculated. Oh. Calculated. <laughs> to be, yeah, trustworthy with an edge. Been through I some fall? stuff. I, you know, I, I'll send you the, I'll resend the study. Um, it's as short as my know. beard has ever been. So I think I'm somewhere in the, in the middle. It's I looking would, good. Imagine. It's looking really good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank no you. stress. You look fine, man. Um, the, the issue there is that we see all these, again, tiny intervening variables that can alter your ultimate conscious opinion because you're not thinking of all the pre-existing beliefs that got ding, ding, dinged, just like a, a game of mousetrap, right, or a game of dominoes. And if you agree with this study talked about stuff like uh, guessing, like playing Zillow, looking at photos of a house and guessing the estimate. And if the participants that were paired together agreed on the estimate, they would sort of hype each other up about how right they were. And that, that part of their brain would start also, you know, again, uh, firing up. If they disagreed, their brains did not play this game. And so if we can see that with something as innocuous as the price of a house that neither person has ever visited, and probably never will, then we see that opinions that uh, that appear to hype your pre-existing beliefs bear as much, if not more, influence than facts. That's a dangerous tendency. That's why eyewitness reports carry so much weight in court, even when we know that they are cartoonishly unreliable. That's why scientists can talk all the live long day about the human species role in climate change in the age of the Anthropocene. And then if you look at statistics, you'll see that belief in that has actually dropped. The fix is in. That's what we're saying. The fix is in. If you are trying to exercise critical thinking, you need to know that you are outnumbered. So how do you fight against it? If you're like most people, in a self-reported poll, hypothetical, we haven't conducted this. If you're like most people, someone comes up to you and says, hey, do you, someone comes up to you and you don't have an opinion about their facial hair or whatever, and they say, hey, 
Do you prefer knowing an objective truth or feeling comfortable in whatever your beliefs might be? A lot of them will probably respond with, ah, hey, trick question. You're being a jerk. My beliefs (laughs) are true. That's why I believe them. I'm smart, dude. You're being offensive. I mean, I think the closest thing that comes to mind with that for me is religion. You know, the idea of of, is religion provable? You know, can you prove that the beliefs held by various religions uh, are the right ones or are accurate historically, spiritually, scientifically or otherwise? But to fully hold those beliefs and let it guide your kind of life and, and your the way you interact with the world is in and of itself a comfort, you know, for many people. It allows them some kind of peace of mind, whether it be belief in an afterlife, if they do good things, then this will happen for them or whatever. So that's sort of, you know, but, but again, you're, you're right, Ben, it is inherently offensive to that person if you, if you posit it like, are you cool with just believing nonsense to make yourself feel better? <laughs> you know, like that's essentially the mean version of that trick question. Right. Well, and a lot of times, you know, to be honest, and this is a shout at Christopher Hitchens and, and some other folks, uh, a lot of times when people purport to assume that position, what they're really doing is feeding their own feedback loop. They're making themselves feel better. They don't give a shit about the answer to the question because what they're doing is, Um, an intellectual version of masturbation in front of someone else who is an unwilling participant. And I know that sounds brutal and crass, but it's very true. Uh, And if you really want to tackle this conundrum, this bag of badgers, you have to try exercising skepticism the same way you exercise any other part of your body. And at this point, folks, you may be asking, all right, fine, I get it. It's weird and it's tough and it's unfair so how do i practice skepticism with an ab roller right here's where it gets crazy yes your (laughs) brain your brain is in a very real way predispositioned to do some pretty gullible things and unfortunately there's not a way to automatically flip a switch and practice skepticism but there are some clear steps and techniques you can employ that will help you get a better handle on the concept. And we're going to, we're going to step through a few of these. Again, your mileage may vary and we are going to be the first folks to tell you, or at least I I will say these, uh, these are difficult to practice in at least my own experience. And I think all that goes for all of us, but they're worth trying. I mean, it's the same way you have to practice, say, empathy. It ultimately involves stepping out of your brain, if that's even possible, or, you know, putting yourself in another person's shoes or the shoes of another perspective, or again, just kind of, you know, questioning and breaking yourself out of those feedback loops. So doubt is a very important concept to exercise or to consider, Um, especially these days with all of this information, just, you know, whirlwind, just swirling around us, uh, you know, and people reporting it as though it were true all the time you know there really are no check safeguards against uh misinformation maybe there never were but at least we used to have a journalistic code of ethics and all of that stuff um that just seems to have really gone out the window especially since internet stories are always first to market it seems like some traditional press outlets are just trying to keep up and so maybe we see we see sometimes things are reported in big outlets that that prove to not be true too so it's even harder because with you know the media uh, or, or anyway many of these media outlets being 
being owned by uh, a very small number of families and corporations, um, it can be really easy to fall prey to these lines of thinking and reporting that maybe have an agenda, uh, not to mention commercials, the news cycle, uh, campaign ads, uh, things that try to influence what we think and act, and some networks that essentially operate uh, as propaganda, you know, not naming names, but I mean, it's it's true on both sides of political divides and in other countries. You, you have the ones that you, is pretty widely understood to be not based in fact, more entertainment than anything to, to get people riled up. Yeah, I, I would just modify this one slightly because we're talking about like if we're making a list here, number one, first thing, have some doubt about stuff. I would just say it it needs to be doubt that's led with curiosity, right? Not doubt that's led with just rejection of whatever is or being cynicism. stated, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Doubt is not uh, an inherently bad thing, nor is it a measure of weakness. Again, uh, this this leads us to, and what a beautiful explanation, this leads us to the next crucial step. And you can put these in whatever order you want, folks. Detecting deception, Right. That doubt, doubt is just, okay, let's ask some more, right? Uh, detecting de- deception goes back to the provenance of a claim. Is it made with honest intention? Is this guy who is going to sell you a bridge for an amazing discount? Is there a reason he wants the cash now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it all goes back again to asking the right questions. Is this claim based on assumptions. Probably there's supposed to be some kind of common ground, right? For a conversation to occur. Uh, If it's based on assumptions, uh, is there support for these uh, facts, research studies? This is where matter of faith arguments tend to fall apart. Look, again, folks said it hundreds of times, I imagine at this point, on stuff they don't want you to know, our position is there is nothing wrong with you holding your own spiritual beliefs so long as you are not harming yourself or others. And unfortunately, all too often, these beliefs can be twisted and disguised as though they are facts rather than opinions. And you can't, that, that is a deceptive move. You know, if someone is, if someone is quoting a textbook about physics, versus quoting um, a spiritual work that means a lot to them, there is an inherent difference in those two things. And you are not, as so many people want you to feel obligated, right, in the world. And you are not obligated to believe things that are not facts. And even some of those traditional journalism outlets that that we were talking about will now do things like cite a tweet or two to to uh, describe an entire group of people's thinking around an issue as if that one or two or three tweets is proof positive of an of an entire group you know um and that's that's not right either well yeah this one being able to detect either deception or i don't know I guess it would be deception, even if it was misinformation. But uh, being able to detect that when you're scrolling through whatever social media you use, more and more and more, the three of us have seen unattributed videos that are out of context with voiceover that has 
absolutely nothing to do with what's actually occurring in the video, but, you know, ascribes some kind of motivation or action that isn't actually taking place. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, it is, it is terrifying. The amount of information that gets floated around and viewed thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of times. And there's the actual information is not there. It's deception. Let's call it, maybe we also call it uh detect motivation, mm. right? Like a uh, shout out to the, uh, Shout out to that guy whom I've never met uh, nor interacted with directly who made those uh, YouTube uh, hit piece videos uh, saying that I was lying about the shape of the planet. Last time I'm going to mention Flat Earth, but bro, if you're still tuning in, I hope you had a good holiday. Uh, But really quickly, (laughs) is it deception if someone really believes what they're putting out there? And how can we determine that if they never admit that they're wrong? Right. And again, people don't like admitting they're wrong. Uh, A lot of people deceive themselves. Actually, honestly, you're probably deceiving yourself about something right now if you're a human being. And that's just, you know, that's part of the game. Uh, (laughs) Right. Uh, This this is a question we have to quarrel with because we don't want to you don't want to cast dispersion on someone's genuine beliefs. You just need to know that you are not obligated to believe those things. You shouldn't be obligated to believe those things. That's a reason theocracies are as dangerous for the world as monarchies, which also request a a huge suspension of disbelief. I think maybe we pause for a word from our sponsors and gird ourselves for one of the uh, the next ones, the the trickiest one, one of the ones that's most often misused. Uh, Could it be Satan? It's uh, also a great film featuring Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino. Oh yeah, uh, let's see if let's see if you can guess it by the time we come back from our break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more 
while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I feel like we made that trivia question pretty easy, right? He's an absentee landlord. (laughs) Who are you carrying all those bricks for, Kevin? God? (laughs) (laughs) I did that monologue. I I won an award doing that monologue in school. No way. Congratulations. That's, man, that's great. Not a prestigious award. Was it a major award? Uh, let's see. Um, I don't think anybody in the military gave it to me, but okay. it was it was <laughs> an award. <laughs> but this, uh, so we, yeah, folks, we're talking about the devil's advocate. Actually, uh, just to just to prepare for this episode, I rewatched the devil's advocate, and um, yeah, it's worth a rewatch. It's worth a rewatch. This, it's got some bangers in it. It's good. Yeah, like, there's this, you know. Some issues, some some dated sure. bits, but yeah. overall, I think it's a pretty interesting piece that does have a message at its heart, at, at its core. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> oh man, uh, one day maybe we'll just do an episode about film conspiracies uh, if we haven't yet. So oh, we must, we must. It's not a bad idea. Uh, so the concept, devil's advocate, away from the film. You've heard this used all the time. Sometimes at bars where someone a few too many drinks in is deciding to be a jerk about stuff. But after all our conversation today about spirituality, religious uh, beliefs and, and all that stuff, it's funny to realize that the real concept of devil's advocacy comes from a religious institution. You see, back in the day, the Catholic Church had a bunch of uh, people who were being uh, put up as possible saints, right? Proposed as saints, going through beatification, canonization, etc. And so they would have these long debates and these processes to determine who was or was not, in fact, a saint. And the church said, all right, we got to be reasonable. So we have to have at least one person or group who comes in and says, here are the reasons this person may not be as saintly as we think. Hey, maybe we're all getting carried away in our feedback loop of fandom. So they created the role of Avicus Diaboli, devil's advocate. And this was a check and balance just to make sure everything was on the up and up. But today, primarily, it means let me take a position that I don't necessarily agree with and let me try to reverse engineer the logic from there. Right. That's what it is when people are using it with honest motives. It's testing. Yeah. Case test. It's become such a part of the you know discourse. People will literally just say devil's advocate. Boom. And then say the thing, you know, uh, you know, you, you, people understand what that means. It is to kind of create a thought experiment wherein we try to, like you said, Ben, work backwards from like a uh, undesirable or not personally held, you know, um, conclusion to get to maybe where the actual truth lies. And usually the goal is to get somewhere moderate, right? To get somewhere kind of between the extremes, between those poles. So again, this is a tricky one, right? This is a, uh, uh, almost like a, not a black belt move of critical thinking, but it is 
uh, an intermediate level move of critical thought, you can't immediately dismiss something out of hand. You never should, even if it sounds absolutely ludicrous uh, or even if you find it contradicts your previously held beliefs. This is where you go back to the Socratic method. We ask questions from both sides of an argument in an attempt to triangulate toward the truth. And it's a key step that is almost always ignored in hot-button issues and debates in mass media. It's for good reason. Because, uh, one, it's a bummer to hear, right? And also in a, play, in a media ecosystem that prizes out-of-context quotes, you could just cut someone saying, well, if I were to play devil's advocate, and then it sounds like they're agreeing with all kinds of stuff that they don't agree with. But the most important thing is that devil's advocacy as a concept is often misused, and people use it with um, incredibly scurrilous, scoundrel-like intentions, you know? Uh, they're not, in fact, trying to understand a perspective. They're attempting to attack what they don't like by pretending to see the other side. Someone, for instance, maybe is stridently um, anti-abortion or pro-life. And they're saying, okay, well, to play devil's advocate here, uh, you know, let's say I love killing babies. You know, let's say I love the idea of a child dying. Well, where would I get that idea from? Ugh, you know, and they straw move. man, they straw man the argument. A yeah, move. A devil's, yeah, devil's advocate? <laughs> ex no, I, I've got people that I know that do that. And, and they're when they're trying to win in a debate with you over something political, they'll do that exact thing where they'll like take on your perspective, but make you look like an idiot. Right. Like that's and it's sort not of the move. your perspective or just the yes, whatever it might be. They're they're bastardizing it and making it extra gross to suit their purposes and, and rendering you. Un How can you argue with that? Killing babies isn't good. The idea of killing babies, but that's also not what abortion is. Or, you know, anyway, no, we don't have to get into that specific debate, but that's, yeah, I'm sorry. That, that really gets my dander up when people do that. Mm. Well, in order to figure out what's going on there, you got to have a little thing called a bias detector. Hope you got ah. one. You can build oh, one. Oh, boy. You can build one at home. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Bias, too, is a term for, like, amplifiers, like, like tube amplifiers. You have to set the bias for, like, tubes, and it makes the sound like a certain kind of timber or, or, or not. And sometimes adjusting it in one direction or the other can change the whole vibe of the amp. And I'm sure they're not related, but they're spelled exactly the same way. And I can't help but think about that. It's B-I-A-S. Yeah. You're onto something. Bias is essentially for our purposes here, is a baseline. Yes, that's exactly right. It's um, calibrating, calibrating. Yeah, yes. a baseline uh, that is pivoted in one way or another, mm -hmm. right? Or something is given more weight than another. Uh, this, okay, bias detecting. Oh, Matt, we're, we're ending on, we're, you, you brought up one of the even trickier ones. This one is not as misused as devil's advocation, but it, is nowhere near as easy as it sounds. When you hear bias detecting in, in rhetoric, then you think, or in, in conversation, right? Then you would think, okay, I can hear, I can detect a bias. You know what I mean? If I read something from Xinhua, the Chinese state-supported media about Uyghurs, 
I'm pretty sure what they're going to say. You know what I mean? Or if I know that um, a Democratic president is going to talk about a Republican senator, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be glowing praise. Yeah, but it gets so much more complicated, right? So quickly. Especially in politics, because you're not just looking at, okay, which side is saying that? Which team is this person on? And what are they saying? Okay, I know that bias. Well, what about the donors that that person relies on? What about the state that person comes from? You know, there's so many things. It becomes deception in the dark. Love it. Love it. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Because your brain also loves shortcuts. That's how it survived. It doesn't need to confirm that there's a leopard in that tree. It just needs to run in case there is, right? It saves time. So that's why when you hear a politician throughout the world make a claim and you hear just a few, like maybe even as few as one to three contextual clues about that individual, you already have an idea about where they might stand on what they're saying. So uh, let's picture... Let's picture uh, you're tuning into the radio, right? You're in, you're driving somewhere or you're on public transit, whatever. For some reason, you're listening to radio. You're hearing these two politicians talk and they're talking about something the politicians always talk about. They say the budget is FUBAR. We need to fix the budget. And they both agree on that. They're not going to publicly agree because they're very divided, right? But they're going to take as a given the budget, whatever the budget is, has problems, needs work. Also, this is urgent because their subtext there is, there's a reason you vote for me, right? (laughs) And you're not going to hear a conversation where they say, well, we disagree on some things, but the budget's pretty fine. It's actually a slow Thursday here in America. Uh, I hope everybody takes some time to hang out with their kids. They'll never say that. They'll they'll say there's a problem, and no one can agree on how to fix it. Harumph, harumph, harumph. Well, another thing that's interesting that we're seeing uh, really recently with this whole, you know, div- division over electing the Speaker of the House, right? And like them not being able to get the number of votes and kind of the left and the right having to come together to, to figure out a solution there. You start, you're starting to see folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who infamously was spouted all kinds of conspiracy theories and and kind of nut job, you know, lines about the craziest things you could possibly imagine, Q, you know, level type stuff and beyond, um, has now walked back a lot of that stuff and is literally saying, oops, my bad, the internet got me. I don't actually believe in any of that stuff and I didn't really campaign on it, which isn't true. She did campaign on it and she certainly spoke as though she believed it. But now, because of public perception of that kind of stuff shifting, uh, even within the, the, the zealot types that maybe follow that stuff, she's made a calculation. So that in and of itself is also disingenuous or is its own kind of bias, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where we can, toward the end of the show, we can conduct a uh, a very brief experiment, and I think it'll be illustrative. So back to our hypothetical uh, politicians. One says, okay, yeah, the budget's messed up and we're in trouble. The only real solution is in tax cuts to empower wealth creators. And at the same time, we need to trim the fat. Let's cut government assistance across a range of programs. This is unpopular, they might say, but if we're being honest, and that's why you elected me, this is the only way to right the ship. 
The other person might respond by saying, yeah, the budget's messed up. Yeah, we have to fix it right now. And the answer is doing the complete opposite of what the distinguished gentleman from so-and-so said. We need to raise taxes on the wealthy, or here's one, have them actually pay taxes, and then we need to increase access to government assistance. Look, they say, I know this is unpopular, but you elected me to tell you the hard truths. It's going to cost the nation in the short term, but better access to education means better employees, better businesses, and better access to uh, government assistance means lower cost for the nation in the long term. If you think back on that for a second, my fellow Americans, then I bet you can already guess which politician belongs to which big party. And due to your own pre-existing experiences and belief sets and feedback loops, you may be tempted to agree with one over the other. Actually, that's almost certain that you do. But false dichotomy aside, how much do we know about the nuts and bolts of these plans? Past those vague descriptions, right? At this point, we have to ask, like you were saying, no, not just the biases and motivations of these politicians, but also what you were asking, Matt, who funds their campaigns? What else do those campaign funders own? And then we have to ask our own biases, and they might not be apparent to us. That's the kicker. To be a skeptic, you have to use techniques of critical thought on yourself no just as much as you do on others i know it's so much easier to tell other people to work out you know what i mean <laughs> yeah well it's also like, like what what's hidden in the margins of those bills that are being supported you know what i mean you might outwardly as a politician support a bill but it's really just for the pork that's kind of hidden in there that really affects your constituencies or, or, your, or your rather your high level donors uh, and the bill might be you know broadly accepted as a positive thing but you're really only supporting it to get through the little things that you kind of sneak in there you know so it's all very uh, very disingenuous and 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 based around uh, deception because of how complicated the system is it's like reading the terms of service you know i i would mm, okay i'm i'm going to i'm going to agree with you mostly i would say that the i think it is misleading for people to say the system is complicated I think those in power want to portray the system as complicated to further their goals. And maybe that's cynical. I still have a lot to learn in this regard, for sure. Devil's advocate, it's all ones and zeros, right? <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I think that, though, like, how complicated are these things really? Uh, anyway, that's, that's maybe a different story. Skepticism, as you can tell, is not about dismissing stuff automatically, even if it sounds ludicrous. It's about asking questions, especially when people would rather you not ask those questions. And as the world continues to spin its merry way into a chaos of conflicting narratives, everybody's shouting, no one's listening, people have less and less time to really investigate or interrogate this stuff, skepticism is becoming increasingly important at the same time it's becoming increasingly endangered. You know, we love hearing that someone else is wrong. We love telling someone else they're wrong. We do not like when it happens to us, even when it should. And so with that in mind, I would ask uh, whether we should do a follow-up episode on something we haven't really talked about, which is, how to approach or apply skepticism 
to the beliefs of our friends, loved ones, people who are important in our lives. That stuff can ruin relationships. I don't know. Should we do an episode on it? I'd rather not. (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, we know we've certainly seen this kind of stuff ruin relationships and break apart families, you know, during some of the escalative, uh, you know, rabbit holing that took place during COVID, you know, I mean, people not able to have any common ground with their brothers, mothers, you know, this stuff is real. And that's why this stuff is so important. And when I say this stuff in that context, I mean being skeptical and asking those questions and figuring out a way to talk to perhaps uh, a loved one that has gone a little too far without alienating them or making them feel like you're talking down to them or that you think they're stupid. Even if you do, <laughs> I mean, that's it's just not the way to handle it. You're just going to push them deeper into that rabbit hole by being disrespectful to them and then dismissing their belief system outright. Ben, you pointed out it's about asking the right questions in a respectful way. Well, it looks like we are a house divided on whether or not to <laughs> whether or not to do an episode on approaching uh, approaching skepticism with people close to you in your personal life. So let us know if we should go on that sojourn, if you'd like to join us, and if you have advice for your fellow listeners. To end on a positive note, a uh, 2020 study from Pew Research showed that the public overwhelmingly agrees we all need to exercise more skepticism when we hear mass media. I was surprised to find 72% of adults in the United States say news organizations, quote, do an insufficient job of telling their audiences where their money comes from. So how do we wrangle with that? Oh, and also grumpy cat gif. That doesn't matter. We're an audio podcast, but I thought that would make us laugh. Uh, And now it's time we ask what you think, folks. We We would love to hear your thoughts about skepticism. We'd love to hear about your experiences, uh, with moments where you redefined what you thought or moments where you uh, found yourself, what's the phrase we used earlier, Talk it, trying to talk a loved one uh, off the ledge. Yeah, you can find us everywhere. We're online, as they say. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. On TikTok, we are also Conspiracy Stuff Show. On YouTube, we are Conspiracy Stuff. Also on Twitter conspiracy stuff on facebook we are conspiracy stuff but we've got a little group called here's where it gets crazy join up with all the rest of the conspiracy realists and hey if the internet's not your bag of uh, badgers or other small rodent uh, i don't know what is a badger it's not really a rodent who knows no one knows let us know what you think Uh, you can give us a telephone call and talk to us about badgers or any other story or topic that you find interesting you got three minutes to leave us your message let us know a cool nickname to call you and you may hear yourself uh, appear on one of our weekly listener mail episodes that number is 1-833-STD-WYTK And if none of that does it for you, why, you can do the old-fashioned thing. Send us an email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now.